Well, good morning. It's so good to be here. Um, I'm so thankful to be here, my family and I. I do bring greetings from Mount Vernon Baptist Church. Uh, we obviously have been paying attention to what God's been doing here in Winston-Salem, and we're just thrilled. And it's one thing to know about it, sort of with your head and over the phone. It's another thing to see it. So what a joy to see all of you today. Uh, your pastor is very gracious to say, you know, we sent uh, Alex and Aaron here. It's more like God ripped them out of our hands and uh, brought them here. So I wish I were so godly that I could say, oh, please take them. It was hard to see them go, uh, which is the way it should be. Uh, I would say it should be very painful to leave a church. If you leave a church without pain, something didn't go quite right. And uh, so it was painful to see them go. But so happy at the same time, right? Because uh, we meet in heaven and uh, we're desperate to see just faithful churches throughout this country, throughout the world. And uh, God has truly gifted uh, Alex and, and Jenna. And I've enjoyed getting to know Alex over the course of the past couple of years or so. And uh, so wise. And I uh, got to meet uh, Jenna last night and, uh, and Dominic. And, um, and it's a joy to be with you today. So uh, enough about that. Uh, let's go together one more time in prayer. And then we're going to dig in to the Word. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are our sovereign God. Uh, You know the end from the beginning. Uh, Nothing surprises you. Uh, You knew long ago that uh, Zach and Aaron would come and be a part of this church. You knew long ago that Alex and Jenna would be a part of this church and everyone in this room. Uh, Lord, that's part of your plan. And we're thankful for it. We pray that you would help us to rest in your sovereign providence. We pray that... Uh, these words about, about, about being held fast by you would be truly comforting to us uh, because they are a great word of comfort, that you will not let your people go. Father, we know that the means of not letting us go is the preaching of your word, so we pray that this time together would be very fruitful. Lord, may your spirit blow in our midst today. We love you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So you need to know, we don't need to know, but I'm going to tell you anyway, that as a kid, I collected comic books. Um, I, I, I'm old enough that I had to order a catalog from Denver. Uh, there's no internet, and so if I wanted to get sort of classic comic books, I had to get the catalog out. And uh, so every once in a while, I'd send away for a comic or two, and uh, I'd try to get some valuable ones that I thought, you know, maybe in 25 years, you know, I'd be rich. That hasn't quite worked out, and in part, because, you know, though you buy the comic book and you put them in a little plastic bag to protect them, because I'm sure a lot of you are comic book collectors as well, and uh, you'll know that they have to be in mint condition to be valuable. If they're not in mint condition, it's like colored paper. I couldn't help but read them. So I would take them out of their little plastic, you know, cover, and I would read them because I love superheroes. And though I was not a superhero... For a few short minutes, I could enter into a fabulous world and be a part of saving America and this earth from monsters and mayhem. And then the year came when all of a sudden my superheroes were brought to life. And now we can spend billions of dollars watching movies of all the people with whom I used to sit and read. And I realized both from my own personal experience and from my observation that by and large the world today is more excited about these fictional comic book superheroes than they are even about like real superheroes. 
like people in history who did amazing things. Yes, they all have clay feet, but they did such amazing things. I'm thinking of like a a George Washington or an Abe Lincoln, a Rosa Parks or Martin Luther King Jr. Right, to name just a few, these are uh, individuals who provided crucial leadership in our nation's history. Well, this morning, uh, thankfully, I'm not going to talk anymore about Marvel superheroes or DC or even the heroes of American history, but I do want to talk about another hero, another brother with clay feet. Uh, He lived nearly 3,000 years ago, and he has inspired us for generations, and he is one of the greatest leaders who ever lived, and his name is Solomon. Now, many of you I know are quite familiar with Solomon, but I pray that you'd get to know him a little bit better today, nonetheless. And for some of you, maybe some of you, This might be the first time that you've ever dug into this man's life. And so I think that you'll be served well by our time together. Now, our passage is 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 13 through the end of chapter 4. That's a lot of chapters. I'm not going to be reading all those verses today. You need to know that this book is a partial history of the kingdom of Israel In chapter 1, it's all about the last days of of King David, Solomon's father. I'm taking us to chapter 2 because that's really where the history of of Solomon begins. And our passage is famous because it's in this section of Scripture that we discover King Solomon asking God for wisdom. Now, Solomon is known as a wise leader. He was a wise leader. And this morning, I want to share with you four uh, marks of wise leadership. And as we'll see... In more ways than one, Solomon points us forward to a a wiser hero, a a greater hero, a perfect hero, the one we've come to worship, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. All right, so four marks of a wise leader. First, a wise leader is decisive. A wise leader is decisive. Now, someone who is decisive makes uh, quick and effective decisions Solomon was decisive. Solomon uh, took swift action for the good of his people. Now, our passage picks up midway through chapter 2. Before David died, uh, he spoiled the plot of his greedy son, Adonijah, who sought to um, take the throne. David spoiled that plot and made Solomon king. David left Solomon careful instructions about how to secure the kingdom. Well, in verses 13 to 46, Solomon takes David's counsel to heart. And as the anointed king of Israel, you need to understand that Solomon is both judge and jury. He has the unenviable job of sentencing traitors to death. Now, he begins with his own brother. So I want you to see a little bit of the backstory and really how that story ends. Look at verse 13 of chapter 2. Then Adonijah, the son of Haggith, came to Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon, and she said, Do you come peacefully? He said, Peacefully. Then he said, I have something to say to you. She said, Speak. He said, You know that the kingdom was mine and that all Israel fully expected me to reign. However, the kingdom has turned about and become my brother's, for it was his from the Lord. And now I have one request to make of you. Do not refuse me. She said to him, Speak, 
And he said, Please ask King Solomon. He will not refuse you to give me Abishag the Shunammite as my wife. Bathsheba said, Very well, I will speak for you to the king. Now, this seems like an innocent request. Abishag is a beautiful young woman. Uh, she was clearly quite a catch. The problem is Adonijah. Uh, again, he had just conspired with the head of the army and the head of the priesthood to make himself king when he knew he wasn't in line against the wishes of his father, David. Now, Abishag, the one whom he requests to marry, Abishag had been David's personal nurse, maybe more. Well, a marriage to someone so close to David indicates that Adonijah is laying the groundwork for another rebellion, this time against Solomon. And so when Bathsheba approaches Solomon with Adonijah's request, Solomon is not pleased. Look at verse 22. King Solomon answered his mother, And why do you ask Abishag the Shunammite for Adonijah? Ask for him the kingdom also, for he is my older brother, and on his side are Abiathar the priest and Joab the son of Zeruiah. Then King Solomon swore by the Lord, saying, God, do so to me and more also, if this word does not cost Adonijah his life. Now therefore, as the Lord lives, who has established me and placed me on the throne of David my father, and who has made me a house as he promised, Adonijah shall be put to death this day. So King Solomon sent Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, and he struck him down, and he died. Wow. Now, the next, we just got to keep moving along, because the next to fall is Abiathar. This is the priest who conspired against David to make Adonijah king. Solomon removes him from office in verses 26 to 27. Right? For your own devotional reading, you can go to see his end later. In verses 28 to 35, Solomon turns to the head of the army, Joab. Joab may have been the most dangerous man in all of Israel. He has a long history of disobeying the king. He was a cunning general. And along with Abiathar, he sided with Adonijah. So Solomon has him executed. Then, he's not done, there's Shimei. Shimei is from Saul's family. And there is still some tension between the kingdoms of Israel and the kingdoms of Judah. Saul's family once reigned over Israel David, which is the northern kingdom, David over Judah, the southern kingdom. So Solomon had good reason to think that Shimei of the north might encourage another split in the kingdom. And so, like Adonijah and Joab, Shimei is executed. I'll give you a bit of verse 44. Verse 44, The king also said to Shimei, You know in your own heart all the harm that you did to David my father, so the Lord will bring back your harm on your own head. But King Solomon shall be blessed, and the throne of David shall be established before the Lord forever. Then the king commanded Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, and he went out and struck him down, and he died. So the kingdom was established in the land, in the hand of Solomon. Now, someone uh, told me that this chapter reminds him of the Godfather. Um, you know, here's the difference, okay? Uh, Solomon is not a crook, right? It, Solomon, you have to understand, he is the rightly anointed king of Israel. I mean, God placed him on, on the throne, and, and Solomon, as the king, is responsible 
for the safety of an entire nation, for all of its citizens. And these traitors that Solomon executed, they're not victims. You know, they're, they're criminals. And as king, Solomon had a, had a civil and moral obligation to execute justice. And this is what he does. Solomon, and so here's the, the word to the point, Solomon decisively establishes his kingdom. Now, we shouldn't assume that it was easy for him. The text doesn't you know, tell us sort of what was going on emotionally for Solomon as he did this. But I don't think we have any reason to assume this was easy for him to do, but it was necessary for the stability of the entire kingdom. Now, keep a finger, if you would, in 1 Kings and turn to Luke, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 9. Gospel of Luke, chapter 9. And here we see a decisive leader takes necessary steps for the greater good. Right? Luke, chapter 9. Less than a thousand years after Solomon, another king from the tribe of Judah was born. Uh, Unlike Solomon, he did not establish his kingdom by taking the lives of others. No, but by giving up his own life. So listen to these words about King Jesus in Luke chapter 9, verse 51. And in God's providence, we just sung about this. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because, again, his face was set toward Jerusalem. Jesus knew what would happen if he went to Jerusalem. There was a cross waiting for him. But Jesus was determined to go. And so he took decisive action. He set his face to go to Jerusalem, to go to the cross. Solomon established a kingdom to provide safety and security for a few million Israelites. Jesus established a kingdom to provide salvation for countless men and women who would turn and trust in Him. Both decisive. One by taking the life of many, one by offering up His own life. Brothers and sisters, are you decisive? Are you willing to do the hard thing for the good of others? It may mean taking action to share your faith. It may mean quite deliberately being more present at the gatherings of the church. It may mean finding someone to disciple or someone to welcome into your home. Well, most importantly, be thankful for the decisive leadership of Christ who set His face to the cross and gave up His life for the good of sinners like us. That was the first point. Here's the second. Second, a wise leader is humble. A wise leader is humble. Okay, back to 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 1. Solomon made a marriage alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt. He took Pharaoh's daughter and brought her into the city of David until he had finished building his own house and the house of the Lord and the wall around Jerusalem. The people were sacrificing at the high places, however, because no house had yet been built for the name of the Lord. So Israel, as you can kind of tell, is in a state of transition. Uh, David had moved to Jerusalem. Uh, He brought the ark, which was, of course, the, the symbol of God's 
God's uh, presence there to the very heart of the, of, of the people, the heart of the temple, really. But God refused to let David actually build the temple. And the people had no obvious place to make sacrifices. And so they made them at, at various high places throughout the land. Now enter Solomon. Look at verse 3. Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of David his father. Only he sacrificed and made offerings at the high places. And the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. Solomon used to offer a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask what I shall give you. Now, Although the ark was in Jerusalem, a makeshift tent of worship had been set up in Gibeon. It was there in Gibeon that God appeared to Solomon in a dream. And God gave Solomon the best command ever. Ask what I shall give you. Your prayer time ends. God says, ask what I shall give you. Solomon loved the Lord. The Lord loves Solomon. Ask what I shall give you. But what does Solomon Solomon ask for? Look at verse 6. And Solomon said, You have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness and righteousness and in uprightness of heart toward you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. And now, O Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of David my father, although I am but a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the, is in the midst of your people, whom you have chosen a, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this, your great people? Now Solomon knows He knows he didn't do anything to sort of earn this spot. It's not like he ran a great campaign. You know, he didn't didn't hire a great strategist. I mean, he understands that his place at the head of his people is all the work of a sovereign God. And that that was the point of verse 6. God has done this. God put David's son Solomon on the throne. And it's because of God's great and steadfast love. But that's not all. Solomon knows he's not up to the challenge of leading the people. I love verse 7. You know, I am but a little child. Have you ever felt like that? God, I'm just, I'm in over my head. You know, there is no way this is going to work. There is no way. I'm but a little child. And so he asks for understanding, for wisdom, so that he can make necessary decisions to lead the people. He's humble enough to know that he can't lead on his own. Now, this is the posture of every wise leader. I'm talking to moms. I'm talking to pastors, right? Uh, Businessmen, doctors, whoever. We we all have little areas in which we lead. And this is the posture of, of every wise leader. It's a sign of strength to tell God you are not up to the task. Right? That what you've been asked to do is too big for you to handle. And Christians understand that anything worth doing is too big for us to do. We need the help of God. Yes, wise leaders have to be decisive, right? They 
They've, they've got to make decisions. They can't hide in the baggage. If you remember Saul hiding in the baggage, they can't. They can't do that. But they've got to be humble too, right? Being decisive without humility is just ugly. You've got to be humble too for us to do anything of lasting value. Not only does God's hand have to be in it ultimately, but we should know that God's hand has to be in it. So I'm not surprised at all that it's Solomon who authored Psalm 127. And it begins with this famous verse, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Mm-hmm. Right? Solomon is overwhelmed. He knows he needs God's help. And so he prays for wisdom. Right? Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Well, can I just say, unless the Lord builds the church, those who build it labor in vain. Right? I don't care if it's my church, you know, founded in 1959, or your church founded in 2016, right? 2017, right? Unless the Lord builds it, uh, like, good luck. You know, not happening. If God's not in it, it's just a show. So Solomon exercises humility. Well, look at verse 10. Verse 10. It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. And God said to him, Because you have asked this and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind so that none like you has been before you and none like you shall arise after you. Right? This prayer pleased God. God liked it. It filled God with joy to see His Son depend upon Him in this way. It delighted God that Solomon did not ask for new toys or good health. No, Solomon asked for something to serve all the people. He asked for wisdom. So, let me just ask you, how often do you feel like you are in over your head? Not looking for responses, just think about that. How often do you feel like you're in over your head? Some of you feel like you're starting out in life. Um, That's a big deal, right? The next step in your life can be hard to handle. Uh, Maybe you're newly married. That can be a challenge. What about those of you who are parents? My guess is you don't have it all figured out. If you do, I'd love to talk to you after this message. Maybe you're in a new job and your boss has thrown you a curveball. Right? Or you're wondering how to serve in, in your new church. I could keep going, whatever the details. You are going through something that makes you feel like you're in over your head. You have a choice. You can grind it out right? by sheer force of will. You, know? you can grind it out, try to survive the challenge, get up early, stay up late, hoping if you just sweat enough, you'll succeed. Or you can be like Solomon. And pray, humbly go to the Lord and say to Him, God, I don't know what I'm doing. I need your help. Show me the way. Give me wisdom so I can serve my friends, my family, my church. This prayer pleases the Lord. Now keep your place in 1 Kings and turn if you would to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. Again, we move from King Solomon back to King Jesus. Both had great power and authority. Of course, Jesus took it to a whole new level. Um, Jesus cast out demons, healed the sick, controlled the weather, even raised the dead. And if anyone had reason to proudly rely upon himself, it was Jesus. 
And yet, look at verse 15. But now, even more, Luke 5.15, but now, even more, the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But, but, he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. I take that to mean it's not just that Jesus did that once. You know, one time he went away to pray. No, he would do that. He would do that. He regularly did that. It was his habit to find a quiet place to pray. And what did he do? Well, the one who healed lepers, the one who raised the dead, the one who controlled the weather, mm-hmm. cast his cares upon the Lord, mm-hmm. went humbly to his Father in prayer, daily, quietly, faithfully. He was humble. Now, to those of you who are not Christians, you do need to realize that the only way to Christ is through the valley of humility. There's no other way. It's not just the mark of a wise leader. Humility is not just the mark of a wise leader. It's the mark of a Christian. You'll never know God. You'll never have genuine saving faith, a vibrant relationship with Christ. You'll never enjoy eternal life as His child, unless you first become like a child and admit you'll never be good enough, never be smart enough, never be decisive enough, never be cool enough to earn His pleasure. You'll never know God until you can say with all honesty, God, I need you. You have to be willing to come to Christ with empty hands and say, Lord, I sinned against you. I deserve your wrath. There's nothing I can do to save myself. Would you save me? That's humility. And that's the kind of prayer, by the way, that pleases God. It's the kind of prayer He answers. And this isn't just how you start the Christian life, is it? It's the mark of of a Christian life. So, brothers and sisters, let me just ask you, in light of the way Solomon prayed and the way Jesus prayed, can I ask you, are you praying? Are Are you really praying? You know, many have said, you know, pray until you pray. You know, when you stop and commune with God, are you really praying? Casting your cares upon Him. Remember Psalm 127, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. So pray for the Lord to build this house. Right? Pray that this young church would grow deep and wide. Pray for God to build our families and to build our our relationships, our friendships in the body of Christ. Don't let the longest prayers of your life be the prayers of your pastors as they lead you. Let your prayer be marked with the same fervency, the the same zeal. One of the things we get to do when we gather is we get to sort of have the Christian life modeled, you know, as, as others lead us in corporate worship. You know, be humble enough to let that type of prayer mark your own life, that type of zeal for the Lord and for your soul and for your church and and all of that. Wise leaders are humble in that way. All right. Number three, wise leaders are discerning. Wise leaders are discerning. Now we get to see Solomon's wisdom in action. We saw that, that God answered Solomon's prayer for wisdom. Now we get to see it in action. It's a famous episode, probably the most famous passage Uh, section in our passage. It's verse 16 of chapter 3. Two prostitutes come to Solomon with a baby and a problem. Right? They want King Solomon to settle their dispute. 
Both ladies had given birth at the same time, and one night, one of the mothers, I hope accidentally, turned over and suffocated her baby. And here's the accusation and the discussion that, that one mom made toward the other. It's in verse 20. 1 Kings 3.20. And she arose at midnight. So this is, this is one of the moms talking. And she arose at midnight and took my son from beside me while your servant slept and laid him at her breast and laid her dead son at my breast. When I rose in the morning to nurse my child, behold, he was dead. But when I looked at him closely in the morning, behold, he was not the child that I had born. But the other woman said, No, the living child is mine, and the dead child is yours. The first said, No, the dead child is yours, and the living child is mine. Thus they spoke before the king. You see the problem. Now this case apparently had passed through a series of local officials who didn't quite know how to handle it. A wrong decision would have meant a mother loses her child. And so the case now rests, remember who Solomon is, he's sort of the legislative branch, the judicial branch, and the executive branch all rolled in one. And so the case now rests in the supreme court of the king. So what did Solomon decide? Verse 23. Then the king said, The one says, This is my son that is alive and your son is dead. And the other says, No, but your son is dead and my son is the living one. And the king said, Bring me a sword. So a sword was brought before the king. And the king said, Divide the living child in two and give half to the one and half to the other. Then the woman whose son was alive said to the king, because her heart yearned for her son, Oh, my Lord, give her the living child and by no means put him to death. But the other said, He shall be neither mine nor yours. Divide him. Then the king answered and said, Give the living child to the first woman and by no means put him to death. She is his mother. And all Israel heard of the judgment that the king had rendered and they stood in awe of the king because they perceived that the wisdom of God was in him to do justice. So Solomon had the wisdom of God. Solomon was discerning. He, he wouldn't have actually cut the baby in two. But he knew how these mothers would respond. Now what is it that makes Solomon's decision so wise? I think it comes down to this. Solomon, by the grace of God, understood the human heart. He understood the human heart. And this is so clear when you read the book of Proverbs. I mean, if Proverbs resonates with you, you, you know that this guy understands the human heart. You know, he understands my temptations. He gets me. And that's something that you see in, in Proverbs, written by Solomon. Now, by God's grace, he understood how people operate, how they function. He understood our, our motivations. And so he knew the way the heart works. So, for example, he understood a mother's love. He understood a mother's love. Solomon knew that a mother would rather live without her child than see her child suffer. And that's how he knew who the real mother was. So maybe you've been adopted and your mother gave you up for adoption. It's not that she didn't love you. No. She gave you up for adoption because she loved you very much. She wanted you to be in a family that could take care of you. That's love. Right? Solomon understood that kind of maternal love by the grace of God. That's not all. Solomon understood the power of sin. He knew the ugliness of the human heart. He knew we're capable of doing horrible things. So the other mother, you know, the one who, who lost her child, who'd rather see a baby cut in two than be proved in public to have been a kidnapper 
and a liar? Solomon knew the seriousness of sin, the power of it. So brothers and sisters, have you ever heard the phrase, um, sin gives birth to sin? Sin begets sin? You know, there's a snowball effect when it comes to sin. Uh, You do something you shouldn't do and then you work hard to hide it. And you might even sin to cover your tracks. You know, I'm gonna, I did this, now I'm going to lie about it. And I'm going to lie about the lie. I'm going to lie about the lie that I lied about to cover the sin that I did in the first place, right? Well, Solomon understood we're like that. He understood, he understood that it was not unlikely that a woman caught in sin would sin so that her sin isn't uncovered. Right, don't let this be you. Don't let sin beget sin in your own life. Let people into your life. Confess your sin. Repent of it. Enjoy the freedom that comes from being known by God and by the body of Christ. So Solomon was a discerning leader. He understood the human heart. And once again, he points us to Christ. So again, stay in 1 Kings, but this time turn to John chapter 2. John chapter 2. During Passover, Jesus performed many signs and wonders, but the people didn't really understand. They saw Jesus as a wonder worker, but they didn't truly believe in him. Jesus was discerning. Jesus knew what people are like and how people think and how they work and what they wanted out of him. And Jesus distanced himself from fair weather fans. Look at verse 23. John chapter 2, verse 23. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing, but Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. Jesus knew what was in man, just like Solomon knew what was in the heart of those women. Jesus, grander scale, knew what was in man. He understood the heart. Brothers and sisters, none of us will have the the wisdom of Jesus. But in order to make decisions, we have to have discernment. We need need to know that people are capable of both good and bad. So pay attention to people's hearts. Seek to know them. You will be a wiser parent, a better boss, a wiser deacon or elder if you understand people are motivated by their heart. A wise leader is discerning. And that leads us to the last mark, at least from our passage, of a wise leader. A wise leader is blessed. A wise leader is blessed. Right, back to 1 Kings. It is generally true that wise leaders are marked by God's blessing. Generally true. Kind of proverbially true, you might say. That wise people are marked by God's blessing. It's not always true, but it's often true. And it's certainly true in the life of Solomon. Look, if you would, at chapter 3, verse 13. I give you... So this is God continuing to answer Solomon's prayer for wisdom. He says, I give you also what you have not asked both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. 
And if you will walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments, as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. Now, God delivered on his promise. We see it in chapter 4. Look at verse 1. King Solomon was king over all Israel. Now, the next few verses show all the rulers that Solomon put in place to organize the nation and provide for the royal court. Look at verse 20, chapter 4. Judah and Israel were as many as the sand by the sea. They ate and drank and were happy. Solomon ruled over all the kingdoms from the Euphrates to the land of the Philistines and to the border of Egypt. They brought tribute and served Solomon all the days of his life. Solomon's provision for one day was 30 cores of fine flour and 60 cores of meal, 10 fat oxen and 20 pasture-fed cattle, 100 sheep besides deer, gazelles, roebucks, and fattened fowl. He didn't eat all of this himself. This was for his household, his kingdom. For he had dominion over all the region west of the Euphrates, from Tiphish to Gaza, over all the kings west of the Euphrates. And he had peace on all sides around him. And Judah and Israel lived in safety from Dan even to Beersheba. Every man under his vine and under his victory all the days of Solomon. So you see how, do you see how God blessed not just Solomon, but his whole kingdom? He made them as numerous as the sand on the seashore. Just what God promised way back to Abraham in Genesis 12. Right? He's given them joy and happiness. God gave Solomon authority. Not only is Solomon king of Israel and Judah... But even foreign nations are bowing down to him. And there's peace, right? Solomon doesn't have to go to war the way his father David did and got his hands too bloody to build the temple. Look again at the end of verse 24. And he had peace on all sides around them. So do you see how much God blessed Solomon? That's not all, right? There is no one in the world more honored than Solomon. Look at verse 29. And God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure and breadth of mind like the sand on the seashore, so that Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt, for he was wiser than all other men, wiser than Ethan the Ezrahite, and Heman, Calcol, and Darda, the sons of Mahol. Do you know who they are? Of course you don't, because they weren't as wise as Solomon. <laughs> and his fame was in all the surrounding nations. He also spoke 3,000 proverbs, and his songs were 1,005. He spoke of trees from the cedar that is in Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of the wall. He spoke also of beasts and of birds and of reptiles and of fish. And people of all nations came to hear the wisdom of Solomon and from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom. Now, if we could double-click on those verses, 1 Kings 10 would pop up. You don't need to turn there. But 1 Kings 10 would pop up, and there we learn that the queen of Sheba, the queen from the south, heard such amazing things about Solomon that she came to visit him. And in verse 23 we read, this is chapter 10, Thus King Solomon excelled all the kings of the earth in riches and in wisdom, and the whole earth sought the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom. I mean, can you imagine what that might have been like? You know, there has never been a king like this. God blessed him beyond human comprehension. I mean, like take Bill Gates and Mark Zuckerberg and, you know, the president and Warren Buffett and LeBron James and, you know, like wrap them up together. Poof, Solomon. 
a glory like the world has never seen. He had everything you could ever want. He had fame, right? He had money. He had power. And yet Solomon asked for none of these blessings. He simply asked for wisdom and it pleased God to give him all these things. Now, I cannot promise that God will bless you with fame, money, or power. But here's the point. Ask for wisdom. Long for wisdom. If you long for money, well, you might work hard enough and be lucky enough to make a lot of it, but it won't make you happy. It won't be a blessing. If you long for fame, you may be able to work hard enough to be recognized. One day, people might even write articles about you. But it won't make you happy. It won't be a blessing. What you need, and the only thing that really matters, is the wisdom that comes from God. The wisdom to lead a life that He approves. The wisdom to accomplish the job God's given you. Not anybody else, but the job God gave you. Blessings are great. But it's only wisdom that matters. So why is this in the Bible? Why do we have such a full record of King Solomon? Why do we know so much about his accomplishments and about the way God blessed him? Well, once again, turn to Luke chapter 11. Verse 29. Luke 11. You can look at there, verse 29. Crowds surround King Jesus. He's doing amazing things. Uh, The people don't get it. They don't understand him. They want him to heal their sick, but they don't want to hear his message. Right? So just that's what Jesus' ministry was like. Wow, you're amazing. Stop talking. You're amazing. Heal my friend. You're amazing. Give me food. You're amazing. Defeat Rome. Stop talking. That's kind of what Jesus, I mean, this is the creator, by the way, the one, this is the creator. Stop talking and just do stuff for me. They didn't want to hear his message. They didn't want to humble themselves and be and enter into the kingdom of God like a child. So Jesus is surrounded by fools. I'm not saying I wouldn't have been a fool if I were there. I'm just taking the text as, as, as it comes to me. He was surrounded by fools. They're amazed at all of his miracles, but none of them are coming to him, truly coming to him. Right? They aren't listening to what he has to say, so Jesus warns them. All right, look at verse 31. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. Years ago, Queen Sheba traveled all the way to Jerusalem to listen to Solomon. Solomon was amazing. Listen to what Jesus says. Something greater than Solomon is here. Jesus is saying, if you really knew me, if you really knew who was standing in front of you, if you really knew who was talking, you wouldn't be asking me for a sign. You would be asking me, well, for your life. But you would be asking me for wisdom. If you really knew who I was, you wouldn't demand anything of me. You would get on your knees and worship me, for I am greater even than Solomon, and I've come to you. Our world is infatuated with heroes. And, and I, mean, I mean our world and them as us. Our world is infatuated with heroes. There is something deep down inside each and every one of us that longs to be impressed. 
All of us. All of our heroes have clay feet. All of them. I mean, just keep reading First Kings, right? It won't be long before and you know the story. Before you realize that not even Solomon is all he's cracked up to be. All of our heroes are a mess. Except one. There really is someone that, that impressive. There really is someone that impressive. Someone worth following. In all of human history, there wasn't a man greater than Solomon until Jesus came on the scene. I know that's it's high. How could that be? Uh, just, you can talk about that over lunch, right? Why does Jesus use Solomon as the example? I leave that to you. There is no one like Jesus. When Jesus, a carpenter rabbi without a dollar to his name, when Jesus said he was greater than Solomon, this was either proof that he was crazy or evidence that he is the Son of God. All the Gospels make the point of Luke 11.31, someone greater than even Solomon has come to us. Jesus is the one by whom, through whom, and for whom all things are created. He is the one who lived a perfect life, a man without sin. He is the one who conquered sin and death. He is the one seated at the right hand of God the Father, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named not only in this age but also in the age to come. And those who are truly wise and blessed, simply to know Him and to love Him and to be loved by Him. When Jesus is your King, when He is truly your King, you don't get money or fame. You don't get an easy life. You get something a trillion times better. The favor of God. The blessings you get are the favor of God. You know your sins are no longer counted against you. You know your slate is clean. And you are fully and forever forgiven. Right? The blessings of being the very Son of God. Now, when I say the very Son of God, I mean Jesus. The blessings of being Jesus are given to you when Jesus is truly your Savior and your King. The blessings of Christ are deposited into your account so that Mark Zuckerberg looks like a pauper and William Buffett looks like an idiot. Warren Buffett looks like an idiot when the blessings of the Savior are deposited into your account through His work and not your own. Nothing is better than the blessings of being in Christ. Nothing. Years ago, Spurgeon, the famous English preacher, explained a concern that began to grow in his own soul. Spurgeon was concerned that he could no longer be touched by the preaching of the gospel himself. You get it? Like, have I heard it so many times that it just doesn't move me? Have I just heard this so many times? I mean, do you ever come to church and think, I've heard that. I've heard that. I haven't heard it said that way, but heard it. And maybe sometimes your soul begins to wonder, am I growing cold to the gospel? So he got out of his pulpit one week and he went to a small church in a little town and he sat down to hear the sermon. And you know, like there was no like internet, you know, so not everybody knew what he looked like. I know he was super famous, but still not everybody knew what he looked like. He described what happened. Spurgeon said a a poor, plain man, a countryman, began preaching about Jesus Christ. He praised my master in very humble language, but he praised him most sincerely. And then Spurgeon described what happened to him, to to Spurgeon. Oh, but the tears began to flow, and I thought, bless the Lord, 
I do love him. So we read 1 Kings, at least in part, to see how amazing Solomon is. He is so decisive, so humble, so discerning, so blessed. No one has been wealthier or more famous or more powerful. But we really need and read 1 Kings to see Solomon is nothing compared to Christ. His wisdom, Solomon's wisdom, is like a dim spark compared to the sun. He is like a pebble compared to a mountain. And this is only going to resonate with you if you appreciate the grandeur of Solomon. He is like a drop of water compared to the ocean. And this sermon is no good if you leave with a few tips on how to be a wise leader. You should want to love Christ more, to esteem Him more, to care about Him more than anyone or anything else. All of the kings of the world came to sit at Solomon's feet to learn from the greatest sovereign who'd ever lived. But realize this, King Jesus has come to you. How will you respond to him? Instead of seeing Christ merely as someone who can do something for you, build your church, help your marriage, help you be a better parent, help you get to your day at work, worship him for who he is. Solomon was a great king because he had everything. Jesus is the king of kings because he gave up everything for sinners like us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are so powerful and so wise, so good and so strong. We praise you for the strength we see evident in the weakness of our Savior in the sense that he gave up everything and humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. We praise you for the upside-downness of the gospel where the wisdom of the world is mere foolishness to those who are in Christ himself. We pray, Father, that you would turn our longings upside down where we are so prone to long for bigger better, shinier, faster. We pray that we would long for the gospel, for humility, for the blessings that are invisible to the world, but are everything to those who are in Christ. We pray that you'd work in us, remind us of the power of the gospel, that we might worship Jesus more sincerely and intensely. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. We will respond to God.